Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. There's a deep cultural battle between light and darkness, between the truth and the lie, between that which is unchanging and that which may change every day. And you and I are in the middle of it. It doesn't matter whether you want to be in it or not. You see, when you go to battle, and we are in battle today, when you go to battle, there's two types of people. There's those that go equipped and prepared and those that don't. And guess who decides who wins at the very beginning? You do. You do. As pastors, the Bible makes it very clear that our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, beginning with you leading a spiritual life that is overcoming. And I'm going to tell you this. Right now, do you know who the extremists are in our culture? Let me help you. You. How many of you believe this book is true? How many of you believe it cover to cover, even the maps? Then you know who's an extremist? You are. You are. Because we happen to believe that which is unwavering, that which is unchanging, and the battle that is raging right now is a cultural battle, and if you are equipped with the Word of God, you will be victorious in it, but if you're not, you'll be defeated by default. We don't want you to read the Word of God because the chapter a day keeps the devil away. We we want you to read the Word of God so that you're equipped when the lies of the enemy come. You'll be able to go, that's not true. Your children come home and go, "Uh, we came from evolution. That's a lie. Mama, I don't think I'm him. I think I'm her. That's a lie. Mama, the bathrooms is man, he, her, and shim. That's a lie. Mama. This is the battle that is being brought to us, and whether you want to be involved in it or not, it's coming to you. How many of you know what I'm saying is true? And so because this battle is going on, as your pastors, if you wonder why why we are intense, I think all these last three or four messages that the Lord has given us over the course of the summer is that we are in a battle and that we need to be equipped and we need to be prepared because in the end, we're going to win. But the person that's going to win now is the person that's equipped with this truth right here. This is called the sword. Let me translate that. This is a, a gun. This is a nine millimeter. Okay, And if I am equipped with it, I win the battle. And if I'm not, the Bible says my people perish for the lack of, lack of, it's not that they don't have the equipment. It's that they don't have the knowledge to use it. So let me just stop. 
Have I established that we're in a battle? How many of you know that all you have to do is look at anything around you in the world to figure out that's true? I was preaching a couple of years ago on the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of sex and, and that God was the author of it. Matter of fact, it was a message I preached about six weeks ago, but I did it two years ago, right in the midst of the pandemic. And, and there are a group of people who were homosexuals and, and they marched out of the building and they cussed me out in the back on the way out. And they started a blog and they started talking about how I hate homosexuals. Look at me. Nothing could be further from the truth. How many of you know that God loves us the most when we need it the most? God loved you the most when you didn't deserve any of it or me. So, so I am an LGBTQRSTUV lover. Because I love lost people. Jesus died for them. And he called me to spend my life and your life reaching them. And as they were doing all of this stuff and writing all these blogs and they were going to do a protest and all of that. And a hurricane hit the week they were going to protest the church. I'm just saying. And... And, and someone who actually is living an alternate lifestyle wrote back on the blog and said, hold it, you went to church and the pastor preached out of the Bible and talked about sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage, and the sanctity of sex from a biblical perspective. What did you think you were going to hear? You went to church. Like, do you drive through Popeye's and get mad at fried food? I mean, do you go on Amazon and are you angry because they're trying to sell you something? And the person said, what do you think? You're in church. But the tragedy is so many churches are so compromised, they expect that they can go into church and not even hear the truth of God's word preached anymore. That is the expectation. So if people are angry about that being communicated in church, what do you think they're going to do when you go in the world? Say this, I'm in a battle. Come on, say it. I'm in a battle. We are. But you're going to win. One old preacher said it like this. I read the back of the book and we win. Some of you don't know that because you hadn't read and got to the end of the book yet. Some of you cheat and you went in the beginning and then you got to dragons and ten-headed beasts. It went, no, no, I'm not. And, and, and you quit. From the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve to the Garden of Gethsemane with the Son of God, Satan wars against our mind and our heart to keep us from walking in the image that we were originally created in. The image he has fallen from the image of God, his creator, and our loving father. Satan despises that you can have a loving relationship with the father because he once did, but never will be able to have that again. His assault rages, warring against the character of God, accusing him and you in your new identity as a child of the living God, loved, worthy, cherished, righteous, redeemed, 
Beloved, the apple of his eye, the one who sent angels to surround you, the one who counts the number of hairs on your head. And come on, for some of us, a lot of counting. As well as the number of your days on earth. He's the one who knows every one of your secret dreams and every one of your hidden desires. He's the one who has a plan and a future and a hope just for you. He's the one who's working all things out for your good. He's the one that loved you so much that he'd rather die than live without you. So he did. The Bible was given to us that we might see God's incredible love as well as understand Satan's plots and lies and schemes. Why is Satan assaulting God's character and attacking your character and identity? Because he knows if you ever read this book and if you ever see that God loves you and who he is and discover who your real father is and his true love for you, his wonderful plan for your life, his ways that are perfect, then you'll just see that the devil is a deceiver and a liar and an accuser. And look right here, the greatest fool of all time. Oh, yes, he is. You say, but you you don't know my cousin. No, I don't. (laughs) Why is he the greatest fool of all time? He was created by God and saw God with his own eyes and thought he could be God. Is there anything more painful than a rebellious teenager? It's a bunch of them here. I can hear that. Is there, that's why when we were praying for Hux and you see a teenager who, her, her parents don't come to this church. She's been here all by herself, pursues this all on her own, has sought God, president of her class, going to go become a lawyer, all, all of that. What a testimony. But, but do you remember when you see, like, maybe, maybe you were, come on, let's just be honest. We're going to have mass confession so it doesn't get personal. How many of you here were a rebellious teenager? How many of you ever bowed up to your parents? Okay. Is there anything more ignorant than a 16-year-old that just got their driver's license? That walks in the house one day and goes, I'm sick and tired of you telling me everything that I can do and where I can go and what I can't do and how I can. Let me tell you something. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm leaving this place and I'm going to get out on my own and I'm going to show y'all. And you go, okay. But before you leave, I want everything that's mine. Give me back those keys. So you'll be walking. Give me back that insurance and those clothes. Take those off too. And you won't be taking that cool Louis Vuitton. Okay, that's not yours either. Take that off. Okay, now, while your naked butt is walking down the streets of Dusan, okay, and you start going, you go, no, my eyes just kidding. I don't know. I saw that in a movie. I thought it might work. I don't know. I was just thinking. So imagine, so imagine the stupidity of Satan looking at the creator and all of his creation and thinking he could replace him. As the wickedness of Judas is contrasted by the wonder of Jesus, so the wickedness of Satan to the wonder of our loving God, the one who we get to call Father, Abba, Daddy. 
What is it that Satan doesn't want you to know? Why does he want to keep you from this book? Now let's just go through a little, little bit of mass confession again. How many of you have social media? Okay. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> How many of you have ever thought, well, I'm just going to scroll through for a minute through my social media? Come on. Two or three minutes. Come on. Raise your hand. How many of you found yourself 30 minutes later? Okay. Isn't it amazing? But open up that Bible. I'm just going to read for about... That doesn't happen when you scroll through social media. Why? I hope you laugh. The devil's laughing too. And the joke's on you. So he is glad to supply you with ample energy to destroy your heart and your mind. He's glad to supply you with ample energy. But start reading what's eternal, life-giving, and that created all that you see that matters. And look how heavy your eyes get and how heavy your heart and mind gets. why, Why is this? Because the enemy doesn't want you to know your identity and your purpose. He doesn't want you to know your identity and your purpose. Imagine... Somebody going to battle, but they don't know what side they're on, nor the purpose for which they're there. Your identity and your purpose, until you understand this, life doesn't make sense. Dr. Hugh Moorhead, professor of philosophy at Northeast Illinois University, wrote 250 of the best-known philosophers, scientists, writers, and intellectuals in the world to ask them this question, what is the meaning of life? And he told them he was going to publish it in a book. Some of them offered their best guesses. Some admitted they had no clue, but they made one up. But in fact, a number of them said, we don't know what it is, but when you find out, could you write back and tell us? Nothing matters more than knowing God's purpose and identity for your life and nothing could compensate not knowing it. Nothing. So what is the purpose of life? Why did God create you? I mean, we've all seen parents look at children and go, hey, we planned you and you and you, but now Freddie was an accident. I always want those kids to jump up and go, you know what? So are you. I was supposed to be born to a rich family in River Ranch and not a double wide and do song. <laughs> I don't know how I got stuck with you. (laughs) But the truth is, there is a reason why God created you. Now, I want you to get this because this is so powerful. Man, this is powerful. Why why did you have children? Why why did you have children? Do, Do you know, tragically, that America just passed a terrible milestone. It was terrible. Not only were we aborting babies at over a million a year, we passed another terrible milestone. You know what it is? This last year, we passed 
the milestone of we are no longer having children enough to replenish the people that are here. Now, don't get in a bind. My people are coming over from Mexico and we're happy to take over. (laughs) Don't get stressed out. Julio's coming. We laugh at this. Do you know 40 years ago I was preaching in Sweden, 1979, 1980, 1981 and two, and they were at the same place and they were paying people to stay home and have children because there wasn't enough children to replenish the people that were there. Do you know why? Because in a selfish culture, children are not what life is about. They're an inconvenience to what you're about. Do you know what the real purpose of life is? Why God created you? Why did you have children? You know, we we have six children. Just go, wow. Just go, wow. That's a lot. People go, Pastor, do you love children? I just love Michelle. (laughs) When Michelle was a teenager in my youth group, she had a dream, and her dream was to have five boys. And that's exactly how many we had. And then we adopted Amberly Grace from St. Mergville, a foreign country. <laughs> and when you, that was funny. <laughs> if you're from St. Mergville, we love you. That's where we started. I don't know why I said that. I'm sick. You can tell my throat is messed up. I think this is spiritual warfare. We had children because the same reason God created you. Why did God, why did the God who needs nothing create you? Because he wanted someone to share his great life with. Why do those of you that wanted children, and I don't know if you've ever been around someone that doesn't have a child and they keep trying. Michelle was one of three girls and Her family and her two sisters had difficulty getting pregnant and tried for years and years and years and ultimately had one child. If Michelle picked up the laundry and my jeans were in it, she got pregnant on the way to the washer. And she would call, and this was the conversation every time. Baby, I I don't know how I'm going to have to tell my sister. I mean, they they, they, they keep trying, and I mean, we, we could call and we're pregnant, we're pregnant, we're pregnant. God created you for the same reason every healthy parent has children, because you want someone to share your life with. It surely isn't because you're tired of sleeping through the night, so you'd like to get up three or four times. It surely isn't because your house smells too good, so you'd like to change poo-poo diapers all through the day. It surely isn't because you like throw up or it surely isn't because you are part of the, you know, you need diapers. You do that because you want to share your life with someone. God, the God of the universe, the God who needs nothing created you and me to share his great life with us so that we might know him, enjoy him and share him with the world. Share him with the world. That's why the gospel is called the good news. There are four truths that the devil fights constantly. 
Remember, he's a liar, deceiver, and accuser, and these are his main tools of the trade. And he uses these things, bombarding you constantly because he doesn't want you to believe these four things I'm about to teach you right now that are great principles and foundation stones of the word of God. Do you want to know what they are? Number one, salvation is free. Say that with me. Say it again. I didn't say cheap. It's the most expensive thing there is. It, 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 it's free. It's free. Ephesians 2.8 says this, for it is by what kind of grace? God's unmerited that you are delivered from judgment, made partakers of Christ's salvation and through your faith, this salvation is not of or of your own. It did not come through your own. It is a, a gift from God, not because of works, not fulfilling the laws, lest anyone should boast. It is not the result of what anyone could possibly do. Look at these words, free, unmerited, not of yourselves, of your own doing, through your striving, not because of works, not because you fulfill the law. It is not the result of what anyone could possibly do. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sin. What can a dead man do for himself? Nothing. Your salvation came as a free gift from a loving God who was tired of being separated from you, so he gave his son to redeem you. This is the tragedy. You need to light more candles. You need to pay more money. You need to attend church more. You need to do this. You need to slave yourself this way. You need penance this way. You need to look right here. If there was any other way other than Christ giving his life on the cross, God would have preferred that. But his son died so that you might live because there was no other way for you to come back into relationship with the father. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's free, not of your own works and not of your own actions. So I want to ask you a question. Here it is. Are you ready? Is there anything better than being saved or born again? Say it one more time. You were a little slow. Some of y'all were thinking, oh. Is there anything better than being raised from the spiritually dead, knowing your sins are forgiven, knowing Christ is living inside you, knowing that if you take your last breath, the next face you see is the face of Jesus, and if you live, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Is there anything better than being born again and saved? Yes, there is. It's being born again, saved, and knowing it, and never doubting it. Old-timers call that blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. How many of you know that old song? Blessed assurance, what? Oh, what a fortress of glory divine. Look at me. The, the, the horrible theology that anyone would take and let you think that you could lose your salvation. God would give it to you and take it away from you. You're always on the brink of it. You never know if you're going to lose it. 
How many daddies do we have here? Come on. Can, can you imagine going to bed, praying for your little three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten year old, but then they stop letting you pray with them. You'd have to slap them and then do it. <clears throat> you imagine going to pray for them, and right when you get through, they go, Daddy, Daddy, am I still your child? Well, sure, baby. I mean, you got blonde hair like your mama. You got blue eyes like your mama. You got my mean attitude. Well, why would you say that? Well, well, Daddy, I did some stuff today. I I thought about some stuff today that I don't think you'd be proud of. So I'm probably not your child anymore, am I? Is there any parent here, any father or mother here that would go, no, no, you're not. That's your daddy's side of the family. You're fine, no. (laughs) Would you answer? Of course not. Then why in the world would you put that on the most loving father in the entire universe? Here is the second thing. The devil doesn't want you to know. The first one is salvation is free. Here's the second one. You've been redeemed. But let me explain redemption. There was no chapter 11 during the Bible. Okay, when you were bankrupt, when you borrowed and you couldn't pay, you know what you would do? You would become a slave to the person that you owed. And if just you wasn't enough, it would be your wife. And if it wasn't you and your wife, it was enough, it would be your children. And they would actually be slaves until you earned off all of your debt and then you were freed. Unless someone loved you and knew you and valued you and found out what the debt was and they took their resources, their money, and they went and they paid off your debt, they would redeem you. And now you were free. Now you were free. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews 9, 15. Christ the Messiah is therefore the negotiator, the mediator of an entirely new agreement, a testament, a covenant so that those who were called and offered it may receive the fulfillment of the promised everlasting inheritance. Since the death has taken place, which rescues and delivers and does what? It redeems us from the transgressions committed under the first agreement, the old one, the law. You and I have been redeemed. My sin sold me into slavery of guilt and fear and shame, but I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. When I was young, as a young Christian of the Jesus movement, we didn't have a lot of cool music like we have now. There was no LED screen. You had an acoustic guitar. There was no smoke. Any smoke came from fires. And we would sing, I've been redeemed. And the other side would say, I've been redeemed. And we'd say, by the blood of the lamb. And they'd say, by the blood of the lamb, I've been redeemed. I've been by the blood of the lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Saved from sin. And I know I am. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. 
I've been redeemed. You and I have been redeemed from sin and guilt and fear and shame that all came at the garden from having to fulfill the law, from having to be worthy or earning anything. I'm redeemed. You're redeemed. Say it with me. I'm redeemed. Here's the third thing the devil doesn't want you to know. You have been justified. Say that with me. I've been justified. Say that. I'm justified. Say it louder. Louder. Do you know what the word justified means? When God sees me, because he sees me in Christ, he sees me just as if I'd never sinned. He sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Listen to what the scripture says in Romans three nineteen. And now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that the murmurs and excuses of every mouth may be hushed and all the world may be accountable before God. The purpose of the law is to show man that we are sinful and that we need a savior. For no person will be made righteous, acquitted, judge acceptable in his sight by observing the works prescribed by the law. Romans 3.21 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law, although actually it was attested by the law and the prophets, namely the righteousness of God, which comes by believing and personal trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and it's meant for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the honor and glory God bestows. Verse 24, read it with me. All are justified. all are justified and made upright and right standings with God freely and gratuitously by His grace. Romans five sixteen says it like this: and the gift is not like that which came to the one who sinned, but the judgment came for one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which comes to many offenses resulted in. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over for our death of our sins and He was raised to life for our... Here's a question. Was Jesus raised from the dead? Then you've been justified. Then you've been justified. The enemy doesn't want you to know you've been justified. He doesn't want you to know that you're saved. He doesn't want you to know that you've been declared and this is number four, righteous before God. You have been declared righteous before God. Say with me, I have been declared. I have been declared. Say with me, I have been declared righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. God made him who knew, who is that? Jesus, to be for so that in him we might become of So let me lead you through this in this last three minutes of our message today. Here it is. Jesus was God, correct? 
Okay, that's not a trick question. He, he was actually crucified because he claimed to be God. Okay, he was God. Jesus was God, correct? Can God sin? No, he can't sin. He can't lie and he can't deny himself. There's three things God can't do. So can God sin? Was Jesus God? Could Jesus sin? So in order for him to pay the price for your sin and my sin, on the cross, God had to make him to be sin. So he took all of the sin of the whole world. Have you ever felt fearful, guilty, ashamed? He took it for all the whole world and he put it on Jesus and he made him to be sin. Do you remember when Jesus cried out and said, my God, my God. Because for the first time in all eternity, when Jesus became sin, God the Father turned his back on him and he was separated from the Father for the first time ever. So he could feel the emptiness you feel, the lostness you experienced times millions. He made him to be sin. He made him to be sin. He made him to be sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Question, can you be righteous on your own? No. Is it possible for a person to be born, put in the right circumstances and never ever sin their whole life? No. Look at me. So God had to make you to be righteous. You know what Jesus did to make himself sin? Nothing but surrender to the Father. Do you know what you do to make yourself righteous? Nothing but surrender to the Father. You say, Pastor, where, where, where did you learn all of this? Learn this in Bible college. The righteousness is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. You can only accept it or reject it. But where, where did you learn all of these things that the devil hates? And I don't believe them. You know where? In my mama's bar when I was 14 years old. My dad and stepmom kicked me out of the house and I moved in with my mama into her bar. And that's where I lived for the next three and a half years. And in that little bar, had a little half a duplex house joined to it that we slept in. It was pictures of naked women this big all over the walls. There was immoral women working there. And I would take that Bible and I would go, I'm saved and my salvation is free even if I'm living in a bar on 7620 Canal with naked women all around me and immoral and drunk people all around me. I am a child of God. Jesus paid for my salvation and I am free. 
And then I would go, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. All of my past, all the fear, guilt, and shame, Jesus paid for it at the cross. I'm redeemed. And I would say, I'm justified. I know I look like a tall, skinny Mexican in a hood and a bar. That's what I look like on the outside. But on the inside, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. And when God sees me, he sees me just as if I'd never sinned. You see, real righteousness, real resurrection life doesn't have to change your circumstances to change who you are. It changes who you are, and that ultimately changes your circumstances. Because we live in a dark world. And if the only way this can ever become true is if you get in the perfect place, you will never believe these things. And then here's the last one. I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. I am righteous. I am righteous. Everything was made in the world by the breath of God and the word of God today as we prepare to close I want to use our words and our breath to make four declarations of who God says we are that gives you your purpose and your identity that the devil hates. Let's say it together I am saved born again I have a blessed assurance I can't lose my salvation. The devil can't take it. My stupidity can't take it. My mother-in-law can't take it. I don't know why I said that. Had something to do with St. Martin, I don't know. Number two, I am redeemed from sin. I am, come on, I am with guilt and fear and shame because Jesus paid with his life, Lord, on the cross for me. Fear and guilt and shame can't have anything to do with my life anymore because I'm saved and I'm redeemed. Here's the third thing. I am justified. Come on. I am, I am by his resurrection. He rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then I am justified. God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. And then finally, I am righteous. Come on. I am righteous. I like to say it like this. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, say it with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the, I am the. You know what's sad? Sometimes if I stood here and said, you know, you're really sinful. You know, you're really a mess. You know, you're like your mom and them and your daddy and them. I mean, you you know what many of us would say? It's true, Pastor. It's true. But when I proclaim that the Word of God says you are saved, you are redeemed, you are justified, and you are righteous, we have a difficult time believing that. Today, I don't want this to be a sermon for you. I want this to be an impartation to you. 
I want you to go back home, go online or to YouTube or Facebook or our SaviorsChurch.com. Listen to this. And I want you to begin to make these declarations daily over your life and begin to underline the principles that reinforce that in the Word of God. And watch what happens in your life. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. That it's eternal, that it's unalterable. Everything was created by the Word of God, and when your Word is spoken and we receive it by faith, it recreates things inside of us. We thank you for that. Today, I pray this be an impartation, not a message, not a sermon, an impartation, a spiritual buffet, heaping on us the purpose and identity that you've given us as born-again, blood-washed, spirit-filled children of God. And Lord, now I pray for anyone that doesn't have that experience yet, that today would be the day for them that they begin their spiritual journey, that the things they've heard taught today and preached today, they would open up in their hearts and receive. With every head bowed, every eye closed, everything I said today applies to one group of people, those that have been born again. Those that have been born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been Christian, I've been baptized, I've joined the church, isn't that enough? That's not what Jesus said. In John 3, 3, he said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. It means you won't see spiritual things now and you won't enter into heaven later. Spiritual things begin to be seen by you the moment you're born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a junior high school. That day I was born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, baptized, joined the church. Is that good enough? That's not what Jesus said. He said you had to be born again in John 3, 3. How can I do that, Pastor? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin. So you wouldn't have to die with your sin. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I love what you said today, but I've never prayed to be born again. Today, I want to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me today? If that's your heart, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand high and I'm going to pray for you right at your seat. Not going to embarrass you. Not going to point you out. I just want to know that it's you. Just raise your hand. And by doing that, you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Even the circumstances that led you up to this week and you being here today. And now's the time for you to choose to be born again, to turn away from sin, and to receive Christ by faith. Three, that's you. Lift your hand high. Lift it high. Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Yes, yes, I see your hand. Yes, yes, I see your hand. Yes, back there, I see your hand. 
You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, I'm going to ask again. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these that raised their hand, but I need to. I should have. I know it's what I need. I'm asking this last time for you. Wave your hand at me. Wave your hand at me if you know. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all those that raise their hand to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name.